0: No Gods, No Monsters contains spoilers, profanity, and substance use. We must totally destroy all spice production on Arrakis. The guild and the entire universe depends on spice. He who can destroy a thing controls a thing. I will take one hundred of your warriors and train them. This one hundred will train the thousands that remain. When the spice flow stops, All eyes will turn to Arrakis. The Baron and the Emperor himself will be forced to deal with us.
1: Charlie, we're back! Yay! Everybody's been waiting for this moment, <laughs> and now it's finally paying off. Charlie, I mean, where were we? Were we dead?
0: Were we alive? Have we been resurrected?
1: Um, I was working. I think you were working, and. They so in other,
0: in other words, one might say at the end of season one, we drank the water of life. And now we've resuscitated.
1: Uh, that's a very poetic way of putting it. <laughs> what did it teach you, Charlie? Um, it taught me that I'm really wasting my life busting my ass off for a company that doesn't give a shit about me. And yet I go in every day and bust my ass off. The extent where I'm physically hurting myself and I uh, am not fairly compensated for it, and um, I need to wise up. Damn, dude, that's fucking real. The water of <laughs> life is powerful,
0: man. Holy yeah. shit. Uh, you want to know what I learned?
1: No. Okay, so.
0: <laughs>
1: What'd you learn? You knew I was going to say
0: no. I've learned that Kratom is my spice. Nice. It's like the government knows of it and wants to control it, but it can't yet. And it's kind of unaware of its properties. It's very sand-like in appearance and texture. And And like the Fremen in the sand, I'm always covered in it and it's in my crevices and my clothes. (laughs) As you know, Um, it's addictive. It's body changing. Like I am in this, just like Paul, like, I am forever tied to my own Arrakis. There is no escape.
1: <laughs> um, That's a really good answer. Can we... Let's redo mine. Ask me again. What'd you learn, Charlie? I learned that Kratom, kratom is my spice.
0: Damn.
1: It's Oof. opened up my mind. And it's in my clothes. In my crevices. <laughs> damn dude all
0: right we gotta stop there i'm getting hot under the collar <laughs> uh this is no gods no monsters we're the anti-capitalist kaiju and monster movie podcast in a world where no one is coming to save us not even Maud Deeb. i'm Rabbit. Or joe biden here with charlie definitely not joe biden uh, and today we're talking about 1984's dune not the new dune the old dune we will talk about the new dune next time Charlie, should be pretty easy for you to summarize Dune uh, (laughs) for us. So if you haven't watched the movie or read the book or, you know, uh, thought about anything for your entire life, Charlie's got you covered right here.
1: Yeah, I got Charles back. The year, 10,190. That's right around 8156 years after earth is destroyed by capitalism the planet caladan that's right the rain-soaked planet home to the atreides the house atreides that's right they're nerd-ass slightly fast rulers of caladan who pride themselves on being not as shitty as some other noble houses and they make sure that everybody knows this by constantly pumping them full of propaganda the destination arrakis That's right. The desert planet colloquially known as Dune that is home to the biggest graboids you've ever done seen. Graboids that would make even Kevin Bacon tremble in his boots. The sleeper boy who shall be awakened? Paul. That's right. The heir to the house of Trades, who looks like he's in his mid twenties, even though he's only fifteen, a lad who has been trained in the way of the Bene Gesserit, a faction of women who contain immense powers that they utilize in order to control politics, in the hope to eventually bring forth the Kwisatz Haderach, a male who can tap into the genetic memories of both males and females. Holy fuck! Hall <laughs> is a member of the Trades family, a powerful noble house that is. At war with the grotesque Harkonnen family, a living embodiment of crude consumption. The Atreides have been given rule of Arrakis, home to the powerful substance known as spice melange. Spice is a drug that allows space travel, and thus is one of the most valuable items in the universe. However, they are given power of the planet Arrakis as a trap. Part of a plan laid by the emperor who wishes to do away with a duke that he is afraid is becoming popular enough to challenge his supreme authority. In the emperor's backing and the help of a traitor doctor, the living pus bucket Par- Baron Harkonnen, brings ruin to the Atreides, killing the duke and the majority of his followers. He unknowingly fails, however, at killing Paul and his Bene Gesserit mother. Big mistake as Paul will now get high as fuck and go on a journey to become a living god to the native population of Arrakis. By journey, I mean a couple of rush scenes with a little voiceover quickly explaining everything. (laughs) Thus, Paul is now the military leader of an immense population of the fiercest warriors in the universe, and utilizes this force to ride some fucking worms into the desert sun of victory as he replaces the emperor on the throne. Will he become a horrible ruler like author Frank Herbert intended? No, of course not. The narration tells us where there was war, Muad'Dib would now bring peace. Where there was hatred, Muad'Dib would bring love to lead the people to true freedom and to change the face of Arrakis. Everything's good, bro. The end. (laughs) Or to simplify things, in other words, a lot of groups of men are fighting each other politically in space. There is a resource called Spice on a planet and a family gets assigned to be in charge of it and shit goes down. The son of that group gets crazy high and rides a big worm then him and the people of that planet kick ass. The end. Or in other words, just read the book, you freak. It's time it's it's time to ride the worm because it's David Lynch's dune, baby.
0: Thank you for including both of my synopsis <laughs> suggestions after yours. Yeah, I, I appreciate it.
1: They're more succinct than mine. <laughs>
0: And they just somehow covered more of the nuance and details of the, <laughs> you know, Dune's kind of mm-hmm. about feelings, you know, and I, I, I yours was good, but it kind of lacked that. It was just a little point by point plot, you know. Um, okay. So this movie is about David Lynch. It, it you're is? a David Lynch person.
1: Oh, I thought you said it's about David Lynch. I was like, whoa, man, you're One getting could deep. Argue. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just matter-of-factly. Um, so, uh, I'll, your history with David Lynch is a lot more uh, fleshed out than mine, so I'll, I'll go into mine first. Um, okay. Before this movie, which I'd seen a few years ago, I haven't seen a lot of David Lynch. The stuff I've seen I thought was okay. I feel like I'm somewhere between, like... Oh, this is artsy just for the sake and weird, just for the sake of being weird. and oh, I just think that because I haven't dived into it that much, and a lot of people think that about things that I've dived into, and I hate it when they say that and think that, and I'm always <laughs> oscillating between those, uh, but I don't I just haven't given them much time. so I've seen the first the like original seasons, one and two of uh Twin Peaks and Firewalk with me. Blue Velvet and Mulholland Drive which I think is my favorite of his movies um and also his uh Los Angeles weather updates um <laughs> so
1: which how often he top notch does he like does he do those like every week every do you know how often he does I, them I
0: I know he used to do it daily but I don't okay. know I for all I know it's been 10 years since he did it yeah daily. I've only
1: watched a few I should watch some more cuz it's a pretty i remember liking them they're just like the most basic uh, i know but there's something so kind of like silly and endearing about that (laughs) especially because he like he
0: seems like he's in it like he's just
1: like i'm doing the thing
0: this is the task i gotta do i gotta do it people are relying (laughs) on me i'll just matter of factly do it
1: um how about you you and david lynch right so i have a much deeper history of david lynch um I kind of attribute my love of film to him. Uh, I had always really liked film. Obviously, you mentioned um, you and I kind of met through uh, our love of Evil Dead. And we, in our group of friends, film was always a big thing, whether it be our love of Home Alone to just, uh, you had a big, you were really into Tarantino when I first met you. And like, it was always like, we were always trying to, discovering kind of new things and weirder things that most people uh weren't into but it still was never like a main thing of mine um totally but when i was probably 17 or 18 and we were also we both took film classes uh in high school which because we were into film but it was never like a huge core part of my my identity i guess is kind of a weird way to put it but uh um when i was 17 or 18 i rented mahal and drive from black from blockbuster and in the five i think it was five days i had that i watched it like one to three times every single day um i just became obsessed with it. it it was the first david lynch film i'd ever seen and it just i that i think is kind of like the most fundamental thing i can point to to me like getting into film um nice like that led to me uh just uh constantly seeking out more and more David Lynch movies. I would always just whenever I saw one used, I'd buy it. Um and I would watch him over and over. a uh, Blue Velvet, there's a, a strand, like a twenty to thirty minute strand of like three or four scenes I would just uh watch like every day for like a month or so. Uh just uh He was the first director I fell in love with, and yeah, after that, like, I got more and more into just getting deeper into film, discovering more directors, like, after him, I really got into David Cronenberg and Werner Herzog, but he was... Fun fact, Werner Herzog and David Lynch are the same person. Whoa. Yeah. Think about it. I didn't know David Lynch is from Germany. Yeah, he is the trip. And, (laughs) like, (laughs) Iowa or whatever the fuck... (laughs) <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, um, so oh, two of the greatest theater-gone experiences I have: um, Eraserhead, the day of uh, Fukushima. Um, saw that in theaters. I don't know if you remember after Fukushima, but there was like all these kind of rumors going around in Los Angeles. of so like, Oh my God, the radiation is going to come across the ocean and uh, going to hit, going to hit California, which was... which it did. It's just, you can't see it. So it yeah, but people are like freaking out. Yeah. And like right before, when I was sitting in the theater waiting for a head to start, I got like a text from somebody like, t- uh, from, uh, our old roommate, uh, JV. um, about how, like, oh my god, the radiation's coming, it's just freaking out, and then it's like, well, gotta turn off my phone and watch this post-apocalyptic movie, <laughs> where everything's just destroyed. Uh, but yeah, like, that environment for that movie is one of the all-time greatest uh, theater-going experiences. I also saw Inland Empire when that was in theaters, and that was also amazing. Uh, uh, yeah, Twin Peaks is my favorite TV show of all time, um, and... This was the only movie of his I had not seen. So now I've finally seen it. Um, I'd always just kind of like... I'd always heard this movie was absolutely horrible. So I always just was like, eh, I'll get around to it eventually. But um, Yeah,
0: that's a trip that... I mean, that's cool that this is... Yeah, yeah. You've done it all now.
1: Yeah. Um. Also, uh, his uh, comic strip. I recommend it to people. It's pretty good. Um, the Thanks. Angriest Dog in the World. Uh, have you ever read that i can't
0: remember if i have the names familiar but i'm not sure
1: it's the same like four panels every single one just a speech bubble uh is different each time it's a very absurdist comic uh, strip but it's pretty funny to check out some of them it's pretty good hell yeah
0: okay what about dune what's your history with
1: any kind of dune Uh, right. So I took a sci-fi literature class in college, which, uh, Dune was one of the books we read. So that was my introduction to Dune. I really liked it, but I was also like, yeah, this is enough. I don't need to go into the other books. Um, but I feel like part of them, I just been because it was for school and like, I had to, you know, do work around it and do like a, like present like a, essay uh, r- present like a something to the class or whatever um which i have social anxiety so that's that was very difficult anyway so yeah so uh i think that maybe is why i didn't like it as much as i could which i didn't really like it but uh recently because we talked about how when we restarted we were going to do the two dune movies i decided i would reread the book and then uh, go see the new movie uh So, yeah, a few months ago, I listened to the audiobook of Dune, and I absolutely loved it. I I, I thought it was so great, and I was like, oh, my God, I need to read all the sequels. Um, And then I listened to the audiobook of the second book, and it was also – I really liked it. So I plan to go through um, at least the next one. We'll see how much farther I go. But, yeah, so I really got into it. But, yeah, not the biggest history with Dune. How about yourself?
0: Um. I tried to start it like two or three times and just had trouble. And then I don't remember like 2016 or 2017 in Florida, there was a hurricane and we had to like just lock ourselves inside of a house for like, while the power went out for a day and hope that the roof didn't fly off after like whatever. It was crazy. And, uh, so I just like was locked in a room with my partner, my cat, and Dune, and I just read it all. Um and
1: That's it also a needs in his life. Partner, cat, and dune.
0: Yeah. And a hurricane. Um mm-hmm. the or I guess just a metaphorical hurricane. The the mm-hmm. imminent threat of death to make you uh appreciate,
1: appreciate
0: every mm-hmm. moment. Yeah, exactly. Um but uh yeah so did that and then yeah i i haven't read any of the other ones i've listened to stuff about them and stuff i watched this movie back then um and i really really didn't like it but i also think like i had just read it and i just wanted to see that Mm -hmm. and this i needed different expectations for this movie um for sure but uh yeah i'm I don't know preparing for this episode and listening to podcasts about the first book again and like watching the new movie I'm totally gonna fucking read at least the first two hopefully all of them I'm like way stoked now yeah Um, it's this weird thing where the first book if you're not like in a circle of people who are like into dune. The first book is like what people talk about. So you read the first book and you're like, I read Dune and nobody's like, oh man, Dune Messiah, holy shit, unless you're like in it, you know? Yeah. And so like, it's just funny though, because once you're in it, everybody's like, oh, Dune, that's just the intro. That's nothing. <laughs> like that's not, it hasn't even really started. We're finally getting started with the second one. But like, if so there's no space where you've done it until you finished it all.
1: You haven't even gotten to the God Emperor, uh, worm God. <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> Um, which we'll go into why probably, but
0: I get kind of why Mm -hmm. there, uh, people say that just knowing what I know about like this story, how it's structured and then what keeps happening. But, um, one thing we should say right off the bat is I think it's going to be weird trying to just talk about Dune in general and also talk about this movie and like know where to separate the two. Uh, but also who cares? We'll just talk about Dune, and then uh, if there's stuff we want to talk about, like I'm feeling this will be kind of a two parter discussion where we're just gushing about Dune things because the next movie is our next episode. Well, let's get into it. What are your in general? What do you think of this movie? I have no idea.
1: Yeah, so like I said, I'd always heard that this movie is just terrible and just always made me think that there's it's just completely irredeemable. And watching it. I am happy to say I don't think David Lynch has ever made a bad movie. Um, I, this movie is flawed as hell. There's tons of flaws in it. Um, but visually, I just think it's just astounding throughout. Just uh, yeah, the man. set designs, the practical effects, um, just the imagination, uh throughout it all like the world building i think it's all beautiful and wonderful and there's something really really special here um ultimately it's just bogged down that the narrative is fumbled and the whole thing just having to cut it down um to uh, to a two hour and 17 minute movie and um i think that really just killed killed it all uh in terms of um it being something really great that it could have been uh because yeah like i said there's something really special here but totally did not end up special in the final product i guess um but yeah i, mean, it's I really special still yeah it's no just... no that, that's that stuff's still there and so special it's just it really could have been something i yeah totally it great yeah um and i don't if people don't know um this was David Lynch's, it was his third movie. It was his first, like, big studio, uh, big budget project. And he was not given final cut of the movie. And the studio wanted it to be just a two hour and 17 minute movie, um, no longer. And so he had to cut tons and stuff that he had written and filmed, uh, in order to get it into, uh, that time length and it really shows in the way that the narrative is kind of done and uh it it can get kind of a mess at parts Um, yeah that
0: makes a lot of sense like i think i'm right with you like visually this movie is so incredible and so unique and so fucking cool like Mm -hmm. the psychedelic stuff the like dripping water the flashbacks the fucking space shots are so cool i love them yeah and uh yeah the the sets the designs are so cool not all of it works for me but it's so unique and interesting like i feel like this movie works pretty well if you know dune because mm-hmm. you can add all this stuff in between that you know is happening. The downfall to me... Oh, sorry. The music. Brian Eno's music. That theme has been in my head all fucking week. And um, Toto. Who's that? Toto. I don't know what you're saying.
1: T-O-T-O. Is that a person's name? Is it an instrument? It's, it's a, it was a big band in the 80s. They did the majority of the soundtrack. Uh, oh, is Brian that like
0: the... the uh, guitar parts.
1: They're like yeah. classic rock guitar. Okay, yeah. You know, so the funny. song Africa, like, yeah, on the plains of Africa or something like yeah. that. Yeah. That's, that's Toto. Okay. Um, yeah. Brian Edo did kind of like the very spacey kind of like synth stuff. Um, but the more uh, rock and stuff is Toto.
0: Okay. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. I think where the, I loved that. The atmospherically, it was sick. I think the way it gets bogged down is just like the use of voiceover everywhere to explain how people are feeling instead of the actors showing us how they're feeling. And the, I mean, in general, none of the characters really grab you. Um, I mean, as you said, this is way too much to portray in a movie. That's not his fault, but also these things are just true about the movie <laughs>
1: like regardless of fault um yeah I, I mean i think the like um the narration like the voiceover stuff like i think that was like added in like by the studio in their final cut. Okay. um yeah but yeah totally i mean in order to fit this all in like two hours like the new movie uh, uh that we'll be covering um like he specifically was like i need you know at least two movies to cover that fucking novel which and makes still, sense it's not going to be no we'll get to it there's it's still, gonna... even watching the the first one there's like stuff i'm like oh man they cut that scene they cut out that yeah. character like <laughs>
0: so it ma- and... it makes sense but it does it's it's that combined like those feel kind of like a sides and also a little bit with the sets it just a lot of times feels like i'm watching a play
1: yeah i can see that
0: um but yeah, in general, like I don't know, I watched it and then I immediately put it on again. Like it's sick. Like you can get so into parts of it, and it feels good to me. It's like a cool place to be, even if like as a device telling a story, it doesn't
1: accomplish everything you'd want it to. I wanted to get this out there. For, I meant to mention it earlier. Um, I have the arrows uh, special edition of of this uh, movie, and I watched the um. The commentary with Mike White from the Projection Booth podcast. Uh, so that's I might not cite it every time, but that's going to be you know with source. my yeah. with my commentary. Yeah. Um, I also read through parts of the booklet that came with it and had like the fe- some of the features in the background. While I did other well, I worked on some other stuff. But yeah, um, anyone that's a fan of this movie, I would recommend that release. There's lots of good stuff in it. I meant to say it off the top of the episode, but I forgot. Totally. Um, Okay. What's your, what's your favorite shot? That one. I was not thinking about when I was watching it. So I was like trying to think of afterwards. Um, I really like, I don't know. I can't think of specific shot, but the shots of, uh, uh, the third stage navigator and like his vaginal mouth, um, I really loved in the opening scene. Oh, is um, that the
0: weird, like totally messed up looking the dude? F-
1: the fish guy. Okay. Yeah. The fish guy. I don't in the think tank. it was a fish, yeah. but like,
0: yeah. the Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, cause he's, he's in a big tank. That's why I think yeah. of him as a fish guy. Um, uh, there's a really cool shot when Paul is tripping out. Um, maybe the first time where, you saw when his dad died, uh, he bit down on the tooth and the poison gas erupted. But in Paul, when he's seen that in his um, dreams, you see there's like a hole in the side of uh, Duke Leto's mouth that wasn't there the first time we saw it. Okay, And this, it's like this hole. I don't know if it's caused by the poison or if it was just Paul's tripped out kind of vision of the of of the, it, yeah. of the death occurrence but yeah there's like this gnarly hole that with all this gas green gas escaping all all over it and the camera kind of like does not zoom up on that hole um, okay I really love that I also love some of the shots of Aaliyah in the womb just because of how I don't know it's just kind of weird and unexpected um, and I, I think they're really cool shots um, sure yeah if I have I ever watched it with more of an idea of, like, oh, what's my favorite shot? It might come up with something different, but, like, thinking of it after the fact. Those were some of the ones that stood out to me. Totally. Um, what about you?
0: I also thought of it after, I mean, probably the first space shot where there were all, like, the ships, I think, when they're heading to Arrakis. There was something about it that I just miss weird like, clearly not realistic, but just super stylistic uh, space stuff like that. All the, yeah, it just looks so mm. cool. The planets, when they show them, are really cool. But then, so probably one of the space shots. Oh, wait, no, 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 no. Favorite shot is the one where, they're, where there's the machine and they're milking the cat and the rat. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck, dude? Like I don't know.
1: Is that actually your favorite shot? No. I just remembered it. I was like, why? Um, Yeah. And that, I don't know if you've read the book recently. That is not in the book. (laughs) I I figured that had the lynch touch to it. Yeah. I mean, in the book, there is like, you're poison and you need us to give you an antidote every day. But it was just, we'll give you an antidote every day until you fuck with us. And then we'll stop giving you the antidote. Not, you have to take care of this you have to milk this cat yeah. with a rat, rat what, attached what to it.
0: thing that's so funny to me about that is that, like, humans seem to have, like, gone through all these changes. Like, there's all these different types mm-hmm. of humans that almost, like, they all seem like aliens because they've changed so much. But there's, like, a little pug or whatever it is, <laughs> a cat, a rat, and they're all, like, exactly like they are in here <laughs> for no reason.
1: Well, it was one of those hairless cats. Those, those cats are weird. Oh, was it? I thought it was white. I thought it was. I think it's a hairless cat. Um, hmm.
0: I guess I have to watch Dune again just yeah. for that. On the <laughs> edge of my seat the entire time, just staring, waiting for that fucking brilliant moment. Well, speaking of you know humans going all these directions, let's talk about just the world of Dune a little bit, and or you know not not Arrakis, but like the universe of this series, yeah, yeah. Dune, because um, that is one thing that. The movie doesn't really go into so many cool things about, I don't know, just, like, what's happening. Like, we know it's the year 10-whatever, but we don't really know, like, all of these are humans. This is our yeah. timeline. Um, they've all, like, changed themselves over time. They don't really...
1: Yeah. There's been yeah. a war, like, to not allow computers. Um... Which is huge. It's crazy that yeah.
0: there's no computers. <laughs> there's machines, but no... Yeah. yeah which is um, cool as fuck
1: yeah I like that that's a it's a really unique way um the to, to show things um yeah yeah totally
0: yeah and like it it kind of reminds me of Star Wars except they have computers they're like they're just like these don't really matter though don't think about them <laughs> um, this is just like no fuck AI uh you know the the robot uh, apocalypse happened we fought back and now everybody just agreed no fucking computers <laughs> And so then, like, the Mentats, which are basically yeah. human computers, like, they're on these those dudes on the crazy drugs with the with the colored lips doing computations, like, don't really... Oh, man, I'm so tempted to talk about the other movie too, but I'm not going to. <laughs> they don't really, like... You
1: have no idea what's happening. They're just there. I um, know. They don't explain that at all. Like, who... Because I think it's Thufir and uh, Piter are the two Mentats in this. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and they don't explain... <laughs> them at all like why they're like in charge of this strategic stuff which you know in the book it's like these are basically human computers um yeah so they can compute like all this yeah um
0: peter is that the first one that like the guy that the first scene with him he's talking like super like a computer he's just like while he like
1: while he takes a drug right
0: Oh, okay. I mean, I th- I always just thought they were always on that, but I was like, okay, uh, that's kind of trying to show us. But I would have no idea if I didn't know. Yeah.
1: Um, so in the audiobook I listened to, they pronounce it Peter. Okay. Uh, I I've also heard it pronounced like Peter, P- Peter, or something like that. But so I I just always in my mind, he's Peter. That's his name.
0: Okay. Is that the audio book with the English guy? Uh, Reading it.
1: I don't even remember. Whoa. Whole, like, Thirteen <laughs> hours. <Our> horrible memory. <laughs> this cool. just I mean, I love the audiobook and I love the reading. Um, which actually that made me so there's some portrayals in this that I wasn't a huge fan of, but I'm like kind of thinking how much of that is based on like what I gleaned for them from the uh from the voices they are given in the audiobook Mm. so like um the baron harkonnen in my mind yes he's grotesque but he there's also has an aura of gravitas to him which (laughs) this movie does not give him that at all but in the audiobook he did have that so i was kind of like i was kind of let down but on the other hand i feel like the actor and this is like an incredible job um but Uh, yeah like in my mind it, 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 he's just completely different piter also and like in my mind he's like this cold-blooded uh sociopath which is not what i gleaned from bad Dorf, uh, brad Dorf's portrayal of him in this um i which did also, I, but i they didn't give you a lot i could just yeah. tell he
0: was like conniving but i also don't know how much i'm projecting it's hard you know yeah
1: um Part of that is also because I, I did not visualize him as fuzzy and hairy as he was in this. Uh, yeah, that's, that's I kind of visualize him more as, like, bald. <laughs> yeah, the <So. laughs>
0: eyebrows and hair thing yeah. with the Ventas is so... At least it helps you know that they're the same kind of thing, but it's yeah. also just so silly. Um. Well, yeah, I mean, and one of, one of the cool things I also like about the Dune series is, like... It's this weird thing where there's, like, magic, but there's not. It's just humans' abilities over millennia, like, honed in certain ways with certain drugs, yeah. making it able for you to do weird stuff. Like, I just, all that combined, it just makes such a cool world. Like, um, and you kind of get that a little from the movie. It's not fully explained, but it, you know, it's it, it just seems like it's people being pushed and pushing themselves to limits that we haven't even conceived of yet.
1: I agree, and that was actually that's another thing I had um, that I disliked about this movie. So, like the Ben and Jesuit, like they're supposed to be like masters, I guess, of, like politics and like uh, controlling through political uh, uh, for political gains. Um, and one of the main things is their voice, which they can use to can troll people and like the way that that works is like they can um, they can uh, arrow in on um, specific like sounds and subtleties and characteristics of people to, uh, to figure out like a certain uh, tone that will specifically be able to control them um, so what I didn't like was uh, the weirding modules in this where they could use the voice as, like, a physical weapon. um, Yeah. uh, Like, through putting it through, like, a gun. Like, I don't know. That just felt really... Yeah. It didn't feel like it went along with what the voice was, in my mind. Whereas...
0: I couldn't remember it's been too long. That's not in the book, right? No. Okay, good. No. Yeah. That those... felt a little weird, but I was trying to give it the benefit of the doubt that they just portrayed it weird, but I guess not. Yeah.
1: No, I'm pretty sure those are not in the book. Um, And that was one thing I really disliked. Uh, But overall, I don't think I really answered your question about the world building in general, but uh, yeah, I, that is one of the great things about doing is just create this fantastic universe and watching this is one of the things that kills me, cause I do think there's elements of that in here where like, I think the four different planets are all portrayed like really beautifully and uniquely. And it's just, um, they give you like elements of like these, these characters and these things where it's like, Oh man, I want to experience that more. I want to experience more of that yeah. where I like, wish that this had become a whole franchise that we could really delve into. Um, totally. And experience more of that. But ultimately that's not what happened.
0: Oh, that reminds me did you watch the theatrical cut? There's an extended cut.
1: I have seen an it. That's what I've heard. Oh um, no the I think the extended cuts are all done by like fans oh. where, um, they because there was an ex, there was an extended television cut uh, made for TV cut. Okay. So I think maybe fans have kind of kind of put together like scenes in, like the way that they think that it would have gone. But there, I don't think there's ever, like, any kind of official extended... Gotcha.
0: Okay. Um, well, that would be cool if there was. Um. Yeah. Talking about, like, effects and stuff, we've been praising them all. But one that I got to say didn't quite work for me is the shields when they're fighting. Oh, the shields are horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I, I
1: went to say a lot of the computer effects I was not a fan of. Um, the shields were so fucking bad. That is the most egregious. It really <laughs> took away,
0: like... Yeah. And...
1: Yeah, it was just like come on why?
0: Just I mean the shields <laughs> that went up like around the 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 buildings, I thought fine. that was cool. Yeah. yeah. Um but the around your body it was just like what? Like do you not have money for like a few more uh, edges like some diagonals, yeah.
1: yeah, that was unbelievably bad. And I get yeah. it was nineteen eighty four, but I don't see how you could like look at that and be like, yeah, maybe we should figure out another way to do this.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I could see them being like, well, almost no one's seen CGI before,
1: so they'll just be blown away that we yeah. did any CGI. Um, some other things, I didn't think the blue eyes looked that great. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of the scenes where they're like. A lot of the action scenes that um oh, yeah. were, like took place on the worm or or even just the battle scenes in general that like a lot of the a lot of that those kind of scenes did not work well um not at like, all the action scenes that's what I yeah. mean like it feels like a play it
0: was like <laughs> okay, and here's an action scene like it it didn't yeah there was it was mm-hmm. not dynamic there was no there were no good camera angles there was no good choreography it was just like and now that has to happen. Act it yeah. out, act out that happening.
1: <laughs> yeah, For that sure. stuff is bad. And then like the stuff with like they're riding on the worm, um, or the, where he clips onto the worm. That stuff all looked pretty bad in my opinion. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I fully agree,
0: and I think that the the like just the whole second half, like the first half is <laughs> way better. The second half uh-huh. is so rushed. Yeah. Um, it really just feels like a montage for like an hour.
1: Um, yeah. Um, I guess David Lynch talked about how the structure of the film was like a spiral where it gives you like all the information up top and then it gives you less and less information as it goes on. But like, that's way too grandiose. The second half of it. Is, yeah, yeah, that's just like a really poetic way of trying to look at this really shitty thing that it merged into. Yeah. The second half was horrible. Like there's like a part where it's like and and two years happen and it's just like they just skip over two years just in a slight voiceover. It's like all of a sudden this guy meets the the native population of this planet and then like within ten minutes he's commanding them as a military force. And there's no there's there's no There's no reason why. It doesn't show us at all in any way why. (laughs) And it, I mean,
0: we'll probably go deeper into this stuff, but it really, like, this movie, the book in general, it is a white savior story that then in later books is, like, subverted and shown why that's Mm -hmm. kind of bad. And I know that no matter what, if you're just doing this movie, you can't do that. But they kind of did everything they could to just increase the white savior stuff without helping i mean also everybody's white so that's a whole different thing but oh like God, yeah. just the idea that this outside person comes and then like the way they portrayed it it looks like he's the first one to ever ride a sandworm and like the they, yeah. they're not like this is something we have to teach you he's like i gotta fucking do it they're all like whoa dude and it's I, like
1: yeah it's,
0: we'll talk about it but that in, changes in the book so is like
1: yeah and the book it's like it's a common rite of passage for someone to ride the Sandhorn. If he can't do it, then he's a fucking loser. <laughs> yeah, you do it when you're like 12. Um, yeah. 40. And
0: just, yeah, so much stuff like that. And the Fremen, Well, we'll get into more detail. I feel
1: like we should start diving in because um
0: touching on Yeah, everything. I mean,
1: even then though, in the first book, even if it is like, oh, Paul's all good, there are seeds that tell you otherwise. Like, yeah. um, his Father, like, straight out talks about how they need to exploit the Fremen to use them as an army. Um, uh, his father talks about how, how he feels bad about how heavy they've gone with propaganda, just like seeding propaganda all over the place about how he's the good duke. Um, yeah. it's very clear that, uh, Paul his, is his relationship uh, with Chani. Oh, yeah. Like, um, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah. Uh, it's very clear that Paul and Jessica are taking advantage of this myth that has been purposely sewn into the Fremen people generations yeah. ago by the Bene and And they are um, intentionally taking advantage of their kind of religion to, to show Paul as their Messiah figure, so that he can become their leader and their, their God. Um, that's something specifically that they are exploiting. So that, yeah. and, and this I, one, they're just like,
0: oh, it's the guy from Twin Peaks. Let's let him be our leader.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and, and like I said, the in my synopsis at the end of the movie, they're like and Paul became the leader and everything was good, and he did good, and he spread good. And it's like, okay, that's uh that, that is not what happened. <laughs> yeah. A
0: little different than the famously weird like Lady Jessica last lines of and revelations at the end of the book for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, well, let's, let's, uh, let's move on to some specific topics. Um, let's just start with spice in general. Like, oh, I love that spice. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. all up in my crevices. So one cool thing about Dune is it's so complicated and you and I are not like, there are people who actually know this shit. We're just like mild mm. fans, so we're just going to be speculating on it on yeah. some an, unanswerable the questions. Good, but the good thing
1: about nobody listening to our podcast is we won't yeah. get a bunch of hateful responses about how we're stupid and don't know anything by people Perfect. that totally are not complete fucking nerds. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, what is spice? What's it represent? Like fucking weed, bro? <laughs> it's kratom. We've talked about this. <laughs> um yeah i mean it's not an exact one-to-one but i think like one of the closest uh things you could compare it to would be oil um if oil was also a hallucinogenic drug <laughs> that made machines trip out when you <laughs> put it in them. <laughs> um but i mean uh this was taking part when uh You know, there is a lot of shit going on in the Middle East about uh, over oil, especially in, like, Iran. Uh, So I think that is a huge part of it, that it's this this substance that society, as we know it, could not run without it. Um, Yeah. And... and Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Uh, I like that
0: it is so versatile. Like, it's not because it represents it totally has that right like absolutely arrakis in some ways is like the middle east Mm -hmm. and all these outside forces are controlling it but also like not really taking it seriously like one of the things i think the film did the best is that opening monologue from like the emperor's daughter you know
1: Princess um, Aerelon.
0: I love how she comes in. She tells you what's happening. Then she fades out. Then she comes back in and says, <laughs> "Oh, like, oh, <laughs> oh! I almost forgot. This spice can only be found in one place, Arrakis." And at first, I was like, "The first watch, I was like, that just feels like a weird David Lynch trying to be quirky and and take fourth wall." thing but then the second time i was like oh it's showing that the people telling the story of dune who Mm -hmm. are in charge or connected to power in this universe it's an afterthought to them that the source of space travel power the entire economy is only found in this one place and that that's this whole world of stuff like it's just like how fucking everything in the fucking world runs on oil and we don't really, we totally take it for granted and don't think about it. That was great.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, I didn't think about it like that. That's a. Uh, I I thought, I didn't even think like, oh, that's David Lynch being weird. I thought that was just kind of like bad writing, but now <laughs> that you kind of put it like that, how it emphasizes how it's like not something that they really think about um, and consider when it really is something that's hugely important. It's just, no interest to in them because it's just the way that things are. Um, it's so yeah.
0: far away. They're alienated yeah. from it completely. Yeah.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um, so I, I did love that. And I do think the film has little touches like that, that it's easy to not think about because like, why, when you're looking at 1984's Dune, why would you be looking for like deep stuff? It's like, <laughs> it doesn't feel like a deep story. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Just from watching it, even though it feels politically complex. Um, But so I really like that about the spice. I also think like it represents oil, but it also kind of just represents like anything that could take that place, any source of power that's kind of overlooked. And like, Mm -hmm. in, in some way, it kind of feels like labor is one metaphor for it. Like all these people sitting in their high fucking like iron fucking towers on the backs of all these people they never think about, on the labor force that actually has the power. Like, uh, fucking, what's his name? Paul says, he, he who can destroy a thing controls a thing. And it's like, that's, that's the, that's, that's some revolutionary rhetoric. Like, that's some truth that if we knew our power, we could, we control, like, we do control the economy. We just have to work together, you know?
1: yeah i i just want to say in the commentary by um that i watched he brought up how he thinks that there's like uh specifically a marxist kind of thing uh read into how uh the uh, fremen kind of realize uh that they can control the means they can control the 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 spice and destroy the means of production and yeah and uh, utilize that in a very Marxist way, um, which I thought was, uh, yeah, I thought that was a good reading of it um, that totally. i was surprised to hear.
0: Yeah, it, may, it makes sense to me, especially in this, the realizing, because I feel like in the book, they've kind of known for a long time they had the power and they just didn't really care about, they were like mm-hmm. just keeping the other ones away. But in the movie, it's like, hey, this guy told us we could just revolt. Oh, cool. Let's do it. <laughs> like we've just been like here not thinking at all and this guy was like think dude
1: (laughs) this white dude well oh wait we're all white too never mind oh yeah
0: um so yeah i don't know i as far as how the spice is portrayed in the movie like obviously it's not like there's not that much to it but i gotta say i think that they did a good job of making sure that was central which you kind of have to and then the Mm.
1: psychedelic scenes were just top notch yeah which i mean if a day or lunch movie failed at having good (laughs) tripping out scenes i'd be very disappointed (laughs) that's true that is true Um, but yeah i i thought yeah the psychedelic scenes were fantastic i mean like we both said this movie Fucking nailed it visually. Uh, so obviously that stuff is great for Um, sure. And portraying kind of like what the spice does, and his being able to read him being able to see like uh conversations happening about him, like between like the emperor and the guild, and him like being able to see his sister in the womb, and um. Him, I think he also saw, like, the Space Navigators folding space, and, like, it's just... God, that shit rules. Yeah. It's all good.
0: Man, I love that the spice doesn't, like, make you travel fast. It literally, like, (laughs) folds space. Like, it's like... The spice is inherently psychedelic on its own without being ingested.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I also like the... In the commentary, he brought up, like thank God they didn't show us like folding space with like someone like folding a piece of paper and putting a pencil through it. And instead they show like this fucking weird creature, like shooting beams out and just like this kind of insane visuals. Yeah. Like, and I totally agree. That's such a greater way to show that than yes. trying to do this kind of like nerd ass. Well, well like actually, Carl Sagan. Like, yeah. yeah, like <laughs> for sure.
0: Um, alright, well, not many people know this, but we're actually a uh, monster, giant monster podcast, so let's talk about these giant monsters, dude. I um, I mean,
1: literally just our excuse to talk about Dune on the podcast. I did want to throw in one last thing about the Spice. Okay. Oh, uh, uh, looking at the guild, so the, the guild, which... Actually, has more power than the emperor. You you can tell like, that the emperor is afraid of them. Um, but the guild because the guild controls space travel and the space travel is done through the spice. But it's really cool. You see how the spice has affected the space navigators. Um, yeah. So like, like that, that the creature in the tank. Um, yeah. Presumably, that was actually once human, and it's of just course, been yeah. had so much spice, and then uh, I like. You well, see not
0: just—I'm char- assuming it's, like, that—it's, like, I'm assuming all, like, that it was born kind of like that. Like, they've just—that faction of people have been doing Spice and Changing for
1: so long. Yeah. For sure. Um, well, I like how at the beginning you see the main—the uh, main humanoid guy. He's talking to him, and he seems— you know, he's weird-looking, but he's fine. And then later, he comes up towards the end of the movie, and his head's, like, cracking open, and he has, oh. like, ooze coming out of it. Oh, shit. Um, and the commentator, uh, he brought up that... What's his name? Slavoj Žižek? is Žižek. Yeah. His reading of that was that when uh, when they've been deprived of Spice, like, the, the that kind of, like, it kind of starts uh. deforming them, because... Um, yeah, and his head like, starts cracking open. This, I thought it was an interesting reading of it. Oh, man, uh, I gotta
0: read Zizek's take on Dune. I, I had no idea. I was just and reading his I. take on The Wire, <laughs> and yeah, that's great. I'm actually watching The Wire right now, partially because I read his breakdown of it, and was like, oh, fuck it, I'm gonna watch this and then read the whole
1: thing. Have you watched The Wire before?
0: I'm in, uh, I'm towards the end of season three, but this is my first time. I've I've seen okay. season one, like, long ago, but...
1: I only, I think season three, I, I got up to like the second to last episode and then I stopped watching it after that. Good call. And I can't tell you why the second to last episode. Maybe we just want to stop watching it. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> but Cool. We'll talk well, about that later. Let's go into the sandworms. Uh, I don't want to go in there. That's scary. That's scary. Do you see all those teeth they have? So how'd you think they pulled them off? By how do you mean? Do I think it was good, or how do I? How oh, like I what, think what did, did, did it? you feel about? It? What did you think about it? I thought they looked fucking awesome. I thought yeah? they looked really, really great. Uh, really believable. Um, yeah. I mean, the only the only bad parts, like I said before, is like when they're riding the worms, and like when they had like kind of put real humans in like. Very yeah. like up close, doing action with along the worms. Dude, that was the only bad part, so... but everything else I thought was fucking nailed it. Yeah, it's so funny
0: when he's lift getting lifted on the worm. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, that looked so fucking bad. It <laughs> it's
1: yeah. just. So
0: <laughs> um, I thought the worms looked awesome, especially yeah in their own shots. I loved it coming out of the sand. I love the teeth. I like the three kind of opening mouth design Mm -hmm. and i loved it like breaking out of the sand they did feel a little slow um and kind of i don't know i feel like they're just a little faster and scarier but for for when this was and the context of the movie they're fucking sick i love them
1: yeah i think they're great and um where is there a piece of work that had um uh, a piece of media that had like sandworms like before dude
0: when did they, feel like, like beetle
1: juice come out i i don't mean just i mean the book um because i feel oh. like sandworms have become like a just like a huge kind of like common thing like was there oh. was there sandworms before
0: i don't know have they D&D? become a common thing i mean tremors i guess i, I mean
1: tremors beetle juice star wars star wars, um, wars. oh the sarlacc I guess. Yeah, I think that's related. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, I I feel like they're like a somewhat like kind of common thing. I'm just like, is that that start with uh, uh, with Dune? I'm sure there's somebody listening that could push their
0: glasses up the rim of their nose and tell us that there was some book that had it first. But as far as big
1: popular things, I think this really did it. You know. I think that's neat. It's it's it seems so obvious, but it's just so awesome and like, great. Yeah. And maybe it just seems so obvious because I've seen it done a lot. But it's I think it's just a cool idea. And I think it's executed perfectly both in the book and in this movie.
0: Hell yeah. Yeah. They're the worms in general are just such a cool
1: part of the.
0: the everything. Yeah. And
1: yeah. yeah, I also, I mean, I also love how it's just like they're so integral to the plot like it starts out and you're just like oh man there's just this huge kind of like i mean basically a nuisance on this planet like i mean yeah obviously they can kill a bunch of things but we know where they are we know when they're coming and we can we can move out of the way they're just kind of like they just kind of agitate our spice mining that's basically their major threat but then you find out that they're actually you know the Fremen consider them like basically like a god. They they are uh, the, the source of the water of life, which uh, turns Ben Jesuits into Reverend Mothers or Paul into the quizesh Haderach and like or us into season two, yeah, or us into season two. Like you, they, it's kind of cool how like as it develops, you find out more and more uh, that they're so much more integral to the universe than uh, what's initially kind of expected of them.
0: Yeah, I mean they go from like tests to gods and yeah. it kind of follows the same thing as a little bit the fremen like you just think of them as a nuisance that you have to avoid and you don't actually realize that they're like a giant source of all this power yeah. which yeah they go into more of that more later in the story after the movie but or after this book but yeah it's it it's so yeah. cool how and i don't know Maybe it's because I already knew they were coming and all this stuff. But in the book, like the build up to the idea of somebody facing off with a worm or riding a worm is like so epic. And you're just you're so in suspense waiting for that moment. And it it's just yeah.
1: such a cool fucking concept. Yeah. Which, once again, they really kind of fucked up. in yeah. this. Where totally. It's just like all of a sudden he's just like, I'm going to ride a worm. <laughs> it's time to ride the worm. Why? Oh, oh OK. It's time yeah. to ride the worm.
0: <laughs> definitely um all right let's let's we've touched on them a bunch uh but let's jump into some of the like character political stuff mm. there's so many characters this is basically an ensemble cast yeah. but with like nobody is a full character except Paul. Yeah, and so weird like <laughs> i maybe paul harkonnen
1: and that's pretty
0: much it lady Jessica has like fucking 10 lines maybe like, I
1: know and like she's such so, she's so important in the book that I was like I watched this and I was like maybe I forgot and she, I, maybe I wasn't watching closely enough and she was actually in it more <laughs> and I, like rewatching like no she's barely in this yeah no one's <laughs> in this movie
0: um <laughs> but yeah so instead of like breaking down character by character let's just in general spitball on the different kind of groups and see what happens.
1: Okay. Well, um, first of all, just want to say off the top, like an insane cast. This is just like yeah. crazy cast for the time. Just totally. all the people they got. <laughs> yes. I don't um, I don't know who most of them are actually, but I do know that Sting is in the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's I mean, a, fact. a very surprisingly small role. Yeah. In the commentary he talked about how like the promotional uh parts of this movie like they really played up like and Sting so everyone was thinking that he was like a main character so and like uh, Sting fans are like really disappointed because yeah. he's barely in it but they got to see him in
0: that like weird metal eagle underwear so I'm well, sure yeah, they he were. also
1: brought up but at least they got to see him like in, in just like some small sexy underwear And like turns you know? out I did this commentary that you watched <laughs> this shit's fucking I
0: mean, about labor power
1: yeah i was very happy like usually you don't hear in commentary people bring up like Marx or Slava. she's like uh, uh yeah. i know i pronounced it wrong so i was like very like it's oh meant shit to be this, i need to check out this guy's podcast yeah that's awesome <laughs> that's very cool we should check it out yeah
0: and then take it down like we are all of the other ones until we rule arrakis yeah uh, and um, earth more importantly earth oh yeah earth but th- <laughs> the powers on arrakis don't forget by the time Gosh. we take out all the other podcasts, we're going to forget that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's just how By 10,100.
0: <laughs> hey. Yeah. Um, okay, let's start with House of Trades. And I just want to start off the bat. You mentioned that, like, in the book, they kind of show that the house is, like, fucked up. Um, and I, I just... That is one of the things that's so frustrating about... There's just no nuance in this movie in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, like like do they show the part where like duke leto like cares but part of the reason it's cool is because like the in in the story in general is that like Lido is a pretty good guy in the context yeah. of a terrible system and so yeah. it doesn't matter that he's a good guy it doesn't matter yeah. that he cares more about his workers he's perpetuating this fucked up Colonialist oppressive system where these people whose planet it's been for presumably eight thousand years have to hide all the time, and there's none of that in this. I mean, you could infer yeah. it,
1: but I mean, even reading the book, I think a lot of people might kind of not even gleam out of the fact that, like, you know, the traities aren't the greatest. Like, just because they're not the Harkonnens doesn't mean that, you know, and just because he like does you know legitimately care about these workers or whatever it doesn't mean that it is he's like oh man i wish it could be ruled by house atreides because the fact is that he's still ruling and he's still an asshole who's thinks that yeah. he's you know more important and he still has immense amounts of power that makes mistakes with that power that leads to disastrous you know outcomes and, well, and etcetera, etc
0: it's kind of also this, this, if I remember correctly in, in the media in general, like this line that you're not sure of, like, it's like, yeah, it's cool that he cares more about the Fremen, but it's, is it, is there any of that that's because he just cares about the Fremen or is it all just because they can be his allies in a power struggle where he knows yeah. he's in a trap and he needs to figure out what resources haven't been tapped?
1: Yeah. You know? well, I mean, uh, like I think I said before, like the first time he's talking about the Fremen, he talks about how, uh, they're going to exploit the Fremen. He specifically uses the word exploit for sure um, in regards to the Fremen. Uh, so it's like, yeah, he's going to make them work for eight hours and only pay them six <laughs> hours worth of labor value, like straight up. <laughs> um, but yeah, I uh, I don't think um, yeah that really comes true that there is kind of that uh, you know these aren't the greatest um, except for there's a couple things. The costumes. So, um, Will Manneker, what'd you say?
0: The costumes.
1: Yeah. Well, I was going to say Will Manneker in, uh, from Chapa Trap House on his review on, uh Oh,
0: that's where I got on it. Le-
1: <laughs> what? That's oh, where I it? got
0: the comment. That's how it, yeah. I that. <laughs> yeah. That's
1: funny. On Letterbox, he brings up that, like, they really kind of look like a pretty fash, uh, yeah. fashy adjacent, like, in terms of, like, there's just their costumes and the whole do-up of everything, uh. Yeah, which I, yeah, I think that's completely right. Um, also, later, when Paul is addressing uh, the Fremen troops, it's like this corridor. It's like this oh, long yeah. corridor um, with big walls on both sides. And you see all this mass of people. And it's this angle looking down on them. And the commentary brings up that somebody wrote that. Oh, man, I forgot. He says, like, Lenny Leni Riefenstahl, which I know I messed up that name, meets... It's pronounced sign-
0: um, sorry. It's pronounced Slavoj Žižek <laughs> uh,
1: meets uh, and he brought us some sci-fi person. I can't remember what, but basically the point was that this is that shot very much seems like it was intentionally trying to uh, um, evoke the triumph of the will, of the you know the Nazi movie of yeah. Hitler addressing the the crowds of of uh, fanatics. Um, yeah, it feels and- very. Um,
0: uh, kylo ren uh from the new star wars which it, it feels very mm-hmm. fascist visually for sure <laughs> but yeah. uh and it, it is weird when he's like what does he say he's like holy warriors and like it all, or something like that and it almost looked like those red things they had were crosses or something mm-hmm. um i don't know it just it was interesting like this movie is just so fast. It feels like a dream. Like mm-hmm. there's so much to the idea that they might be like holy warriors, but I don't remember the line, but he yeah. basically is just like, holy warriors, like that covers it next. Yeah. Like,
1: <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? Um. Yeah. Well, I mean, they specifically talk about, uh, they bring up multiple times fighting the jihad, which yes. at this time is some people may not realize this jihad is not considered like a, it's become a loaded term since 911 it's just holy um, war yeah it's just a holy war um yeah. but since 911 it's just like this is it's evil holy war i think yeah. in most people's minds suicide um, which, bomber I mean, like fucking yeah yeah, yeah it's a, a very loaded term i mean not that it was necessarily a good term before but uh yeah i mean it's just a a holy war and war fought you know in the name of their god to to extend you know what they think is righteous which obviously as a viewer we're like oh that's that's obviously bad but um i just i mean, I just it, mean it's it, not it's not the loaded evil terrorists uh, yeah. fucking brown people committing evil the, the that it, nowadays people think of
0: i mean it's it's um, it makes sense right like the that this movie was made what f- 40 years ago almost and mm-hmm. you know it's Kind of representing these issues with the Middle East, which of course mm-hmm. have escalated. So of course the connotations around, like it kind of makes sense for how the Fremen are treated. Like it's very,
1: yeah,
0: things are alive like that, and it, yeah, it totally makes Fremen sense. The Fremen are that, white. Yeah, but I'm talking about the book, <laughs> yeah, <deer. I> <laughs> okay? I'm just
1: using another chance to point out how <laughs> fucked up it is that the decision. Well, and-
0: it's weird because also, like, you called them the native people of Dune, but technically, I mean, nobody's native anywhere, any of it, but everybody came mm. from Earth. They've just been there fucking forever. Um, yeah. And it's it's just interesting that, like, yeah, but it, I don't know. It's this weird thing where it's like, should they be brown? Like, should they? Yeah, I think
1: so. I mean, just for I think the Frank Herbert... Sake. I think in Frank Herbert's mind he was intentionally evoking uh you know a Middle yep. Eastern cultures when he 100%. wrote so yes, it should not be Everett McGill, who I love. I love <laughs> Everett McGill. He's uh, one of the he, he plays one of the great characters in Twin Peaks, he's uh in lots of other good stuff. Um but he should not be the head he should not be still sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's no. he, he's big at in Twin Peaks. Um
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and he should have had an eye patch on in this.
1: Yes, that would be great. <laughs> For sure,
0: I did not recognize him, if that makes sense. Um, well, should we move on to the or it
1: Um, oh, another thing I I wanted to say about Paul. I can't watch this. At least the two times I watched it, the entire first half of the movie, I just I keep thinking about Clifford, um, the Martin Short movie because. Paul is supposed to be fifteen years old. Yeah, he's very obviously in his mid twenties. Yeah. He looks like he's in his mid twenties, but everyone's acting, and the whole story is just pretending that he's this fifteen-year-old. <laughs> so it just constantly makes me think of Clifford. <laughs> I don't know what Clifford is. You oh, it's so funny. It's it's a movie where Martin Short plays like a like a I forgot like a ten and or maybe eight-year-old boy. Okay. Um, That's is so with funny. Charles Grodin is like his. Uh, father or uncle or something like that and it's just him being just like the most annoying kid ever but the whole time they just accept him as like an eight-year-old even though he's obviously a grown man um (laughs) i can see yeah that's great um yes yeah um,
0: there's some parts where like like the very beginning paul's first lines so weirdly acted where like (laughs) They walk in, and and I don't know, I'm thinking, like, is this supposed to be because he's, like, a weird, snotty kid? I hadn't thought of him being a kid, but maybe that's why. But, like, he has this stupid grin on his face, and he's like, you're going to say that I wasn't facing the door. I knew. And they're like, well, uh, what if we were an imposter? He's like, I
1: could tell.
0: Like, it's so cranky, dude. And then he's never like that the rest of the movie.
1: Yeah. Um, This was his uh, first ever film role, by the way. Uh, Whoa. Okay, not bad.
0: What a yeah, trippy ride I'm, for your first like, – is this what making movies
1: is like? <laughs> and then he just like got into like making stuff with David Lynch, like <laughs> some a weird avenue to go. Um, what was that else I was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So with the new movie, Timothy Chalet is the – or Chalamet. What, yeah. What's his name? Tim yeah he's like the same age as Kyle McLaughlin was when he made this but, but he, he looks, looks like a twink he so looks like a fucking teenager yeah. yeah so it completely works Kyle McLaughlin, I'm sorry but he looks like he's in his mid 20s yeah he's supposed to be like 15 years old
0: I mean it's good they didn't pick like an Arnold Schwarzenegger or something <laughs> yeah. but like I'm I'm
1: at the way
0: this movie was done I'm surprised it wasn't just some action dude Um. so mm-hmm. that's at least good but you're right it's so funny that he's supposed to be a kid yeah <laughs> yeah and that actually makes so much of it make sense in a way that it doesn't when you're watching like lady jessica's like you do whatever the reverend mother says and then she's (laughs) like come over here and he's like no and like it's so like it makes sense he says no he had to show off that he had the resistance Mm -hmm. but also it's like just adults telling him what to do all the time, which I guess is a weird royal thing, right? You're a kid forever when yeah. you're a prince, so it kind of works. But it's that's so funny. It's like just hit puberty.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh. Um, anything else about Atreides House or
1: Paul or? Um, I mean, I love that they have a bunch of pugs. <laughs> um, so weird. I only noticed not... one. It's not in the book, or maybe, yeah, it's just the same one repeated over and over. Um, it's just always there, yeah. And they to the extent where Patrick Stewart is like running with him in battle, (laughs) uh, forgot Patrick Stewart's in this. Patrick
0: Stewart is so funny in this. Favorite new favorite shot, new favorite shot his mullet. Two years pass, and he just has this bald man's mullet. That's so amazing. I've never seen anything like it.
1: <laughs> um, the sad part about that is that he doesn't have the pug anymore, so you have to assume that the pug died. Ooh. Wait, sorry. You say it was whose dog was it? It seemed like it was the Atreides' house dog, Wait, but you who... see Patrick Stewart running with it in oh, battle. Oh, in the movie. Yeah.
0: Okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no. I thought I you were like
1: heat. Patrick Stewart
0: doesn't have the pug anymore 40 <laughs> years later <he>
1: got to... <laughs> That would be amazing if Patrick Stewart just arrived on a set and it's like sorry, I have to film with my dog. <laughs> or that was And David's like, I guess I'll write it in. He's like, I'll be in this weird-ass
0: space movie, but only if my dog is in, like, 80% <laughs> of the Atreides shots. <laughs> yeah, no, that dog was killed by um, the Harkonnens, for sure. Aw. Yeah,
1: the commentator, uh, the he keeps... <laughs> The commentator keeps bringing it up as, oh, it's Warpug. Oh, I love Warpug. And he's like, oh, where's Warpug? Oh, that's our last shot of Warpug. Like, every time (laughs) he brings it up.
0: That's amazing. All right, let's talk about these, these like, eugenics
1: witches. (laughs) Um, Well, one thing I I like, uh, once again, in the commentary, he points out that they're their official name is Bene Gesserit, but they're often referred to as witches, which, uh, witches have always been a threat to the patriarchy. And I do think that there is kind of that in here where, um, basically everyone kind of like dislikes and distrusts the Bene Gesserit. Uh Yeah, even, even when they use them, like the emperor uses the Reverend Munder as a truth sayer, um, but I think it's always known that the Ben Jesuit have like a different ultimate goal that they're striving towards, yeah um and that they can ultimately uh control uh most people just by the use of their words for um, sure, but yeah, it's kind of cool to kind of look at it as a way as they they are a threat to the patriarchy um one hundred percent um although on the other hand their ultimate goal is to create uh a male god yeah Um, and control everything in a very patriarchal
0: way yeah even though they're women they're perpetuating it and it's like i feel like one of the big themes of the book and is that like you can't get the outcome you think you can you can't you're not in Mm -hmm. control the having control is like not uh what's the word it's it's a, an illusion or something and totally i wonder if like cuz they they think they've been doing this for so long like decades centuries whatever and have this plan to have this this man finally and they're upset cuz the man's coming early but like they've kind of set it all up for him to fill these roles but part of me wonders and i'm probably wrong but i get the it it feels to me like how like they never actually wanted the man like the narrative mm. that one day they would do that is their own mythology that perpetuates the people in power but once they have the man their powers like you know they they yeah. might know oh we're not going to be the one in charge so it kind of feels like the democrats like if we ever fully got healthcare care or whatever like they wouldn't or abortion legalized they wouldn't be able to be like we need the power because we're gonna make it happen eventually so like i don't know it just, i just i always get that vibe from them
1: that is a funny way of putting it i mean i just assume that because paul came when he wasn't supposed to uh they were planning to have someone that they had more some kind of control over yes. um sure but that's probably but, more like you but yeah, I mean, it might be just that they—they they always just want to perpetuate uh, and push things, uh, kick the can down the road, so they can continue having the immense amount of power that they do have. Um, I mean, that—that's a very valid uh, look at it. I also like how you said that one of the themes of the book is not or is how control is basically an illusion. So you really see that in Paul because he's seeing these visions of like, of. Uh, armies, like, committing, like, mass murder underneath him and stuff, and he's like, I must prevent that, and, like, I have to prevent that, and then... Well, I don't want to spoil the second book, but he doesn't prevent that, and (laughs) he doesn't really care that much that he doesn't prevent it. Yeah, and... it feels like everything
0: is that like the emperor has this whole plan to put the Duke on the planet so that the Harkonnens cannot go and defeat them mm-hmm. because they're getting too power. And it just, it doesn't work out because yeah. there's too many factors. And so like everything you've been working for is just a myth. You're telling yourself just like the myth about the Maldives and everything else. It's just yeah. a myth. It's not, it's thinner than air. I think, I mean,
1: well, yeah, ultimately boils down to, uh, Frank Herbert was a libertarian, so he he distrusted authority like we do um because ultimately you're putting humans into power and humans are faulty um and I think you can read that's why you know these things as much control as you have ultimately it comes down to these people who are you know unpredictable and will screw things up or they'll do things by their own motives that you weren't aware of, or there's just a million factors involved when it comes to an actual human. So you can't 100% predict it. Yeah. Um, Totally. 100%. 100%.
0: Mm -hmm. How do you feel about, I mean, we've touched on it a bit, but like uh, their portrayal in the movie, like, did you like the Gom Jabbar in the box scene?
1: Um, Yeah, I did really like that scene. Uh, uh, that's one of the most pivotal scenes, one of the most important scenes in the book. I think it it did a pretty good job of yeah of showing that. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I just wanted to scream when he said, "What's in the box?" It's a woman's head. Um, but uh, what's that? Why? David Finch. That the. The movie, the David Fincher movie that I've never seen. Oh, Where God. Brad Pitt screams, what's I in the see. box? Seven. What's in the yeah. box? okay. Um,
0: I liked how <laughs> they had his
1: hand, like, melting out, like, what he was seeing. Yeah, I, I thought that was pretty cool. Because, um, actually, that's not actually happening. But in yeah. his mind, that is what's happening, because that's the what he's feeling. Um, I thought that was pretty cool showing that. Um, yeah, I... I thought that scene was great. I mean, my one my one complaint about the portrayal of the Ben and is that in the book, Jessica is like the biggest character next to Paul, and um, she's so and badass. She's just yeah, and she's like barely in this. She's awesome. She's like trained Paul. Like the reason why Paul is what he is is all because of her. Yeah. A, I mean, they mentioned in this book. She was not supposed to birth a son, but she intentionally did to give a. Uh, uh, um uh, an heir because Leto wanted a male son because not mentioned also... by the way they can control the sex of their baby whoa yeah yeah <laughs> um but also she taught paul you know the reason why he's so special is that he's been trained in the ben ways which he's been trained his entire life for, by her yeah um and that's you know, that's why Paul is who he is. It's all because of Jessica. She's and like, they barely... She's just, like, so skipped over in this movie. She's yeah. one of the biggest flaws in the movie, in my opinion. Definitely. Because she's such a cool and interesting character. For sure. Yeah,
0: in this, it's like... She's there. She's kind of whatever. And then, like, they get... Once they escape... She's just, like... I mean, She just, like... Crying and freaking out, and it just didn't feel right. Like, yeah, I, crying and freaking and out. Even is fine, like after that, what'd you say?
1: Well, even after that, they're like, and then she drank the water and became the Revan mother. Yeah, and it's just like, they just like a uh, big deal. Who cares? <laughs>
0: okay, that reminds me though, this is the time where we got to talk about the kid.
1: Oh God! What Aaliyah? the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Frank Herbert, after Star Wars came out, he had he wrote like a piece where he complained about all these similarities between uh, all these things that Star Wars ripped off of Dune. And one of his complaints, I guess, was that uh, Princess Leia was uh, very close in name to Aaliyah. <laughs> <laughs> So I mean, yeah, he he does have some legitimate complaints where yeah. Star Wars obviously took these things, which I'm fine with. Whatever, yeah. like that's, that's how it works. That's how art works. Um, but uh, yeah, the Leia thing is just so hilarious. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah,
0: it it didn't even explain. It was just everything so fast. It does really mm-hmm. feel like a dream. You're just like, why is she in the room with these
1: people? Yeah. Why just,
0: do they know to be afraid of her? What's
1: happening? It's like, and then the Reverend Mother took took the drop of life when her daughter was inside. So that daughter uh, advanced really fast with superpowers, and then all of a sudden, it's like, and then here's Aaliyah in this room talking to uh, the Emperor and the Baron, and then she kills the Baron. <laughs> it's just like there's no real if you had did not know the book and you just seen this, like I cannot imagine what (laughs) the fuck would be going through your mind. (laughs) It makes, it's so weird. And just so just thrust upon the audience with barely any. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, even that's even that scene They're they're in the throne room and like the Baron comes in to talk to the emperor. And then all of a sudden, Aaliyah's just brought in. There's not even any warning. Like, Oh, there's someone else to see you. Like, oh, yeah. we we have a, a captive. It's just Leah basically just walks in. And she's like, ah, I'm here. And then the mother, Reverend, right, freaks out. And like, oh, she's an abomination. And she's, and it's just like all just like thrown out all at once with no buildup, no yeah. description, no nothing at all. It, it's so weird. Cause in in the book, that scene is like drawn out where there's like a long conversation between the Baron and and the. Uh, the emperor and then they're like oh we have a captive we know that she's she's Paul, she's uh muhadib's sister uh, do you want to see her and it's like this drawn-out thing where it's like it's these characters first discovering each other and like uh it, yeah i mean it's actually written like a scene should be written in yeah i mean the whole if
0: you <laughs> when i first i don't think i mentioned this when i first watched this movie i said it was the worst movie i've ever seen I think it had been a while since I read the book, and I didn't remember most of it. But it it literally felt like a joke in the last third. Like it's and if you were seeing this in theaters, you would think that they were trying to insult you. They were you would think that they were like, okay, I have an idea. Let's make a movie that like just makes enough sense that you're kind of wondering what's going to happen, and then just throw that all out the window at the end, and have it be like you don't know what happened. Wouldn't that be funny?
1: (laughs) <laughs> it's insane to think that the studio is like, David Lynch, you're too much of a fucking indecipherable weirdo. We're going to take Final Cut, and this is our final cut. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because they're soulless.
0: Like, they can only think in the yeah. numbers. Yeah. They're like... I know. <laughs> oh, it has to be this length. Like, there's nothing mm. to do with art.
1: Like, Yeah. It's specifically... This length is the best length that we could play it this many times in a day on screens. Yeah. Uh, so we can get a higher return.
0: Totally, and sometimes that's, that works. If you're talking about Wesley yeah. Willis's songs, how they all have to be within three seconds of length because that's the radio <laughs> cut. That makes gold. But when it's like trickling down from the top, it something's lost in the translation. You know.
1: Yeah. <sighs>
0: um. Okay, let's talk about House Arkonin.
1: Mm. This is
0: some shit, dude. Like or yeah. I'm sorry. Um fucking the main guy in this, like when I when I remembered this movie, like thinking back to it, all I remembered was a false memory I had actually that I thought was part of the movie of the Baron farting and flying around because he was farting like that's what I thought <laughs> because that's how he I mean... was portrayed in my fucked up memory because he's just so nasty and like I like it in some ways he's like the purest gnarliest form of hedonism but it's also just disgusting and like it's good that it's disgusting because you get he's bad I don't know how well it represents this kind of like more slightly more sympathetic character in the books I, I just have a lot of feeling. Like, I, I don't love in the book or this that, like, the only characters that's, that's openly homosexual. It's like, it's this nasty, depraved yeah. person. Really um, fucked up. I don't want to even go into that. So that sucks, but that's not necessarily just the movie's fault. But like, dude, it's just so nasty. The milking cat, like, the boils <laughs> on the face, the guy telling him he loves his skin. It's, ugh. I'm done. Uh, um,
1: yeah, I, so, I mentioned before that I pictured the character with an aura of gravitas to him, which might be just because I heard the, the audiobook, the the speaker had an aura of gravitas to his voice. So, maybe that's why. I'm not sure. This character has no gravitas to him at all. Um, besides that, and the kind of homophobic aspect to it, which, once again, we won't get into. Uh, but except to say I, it sucks.
0: It's fucking bad.
1: Yeah. Uh, I guess there was a writer who said that that scene. Um, where we're first introduced to him as like the most homophobic scene in cinema history. I think that's an exaggeration, but I do think that you could read a lot of homophobia into it. Yeah. Um, And not intentionally from the filmmakers part at all either. It's, I mean, that's there. There was an aura of, there was a part of homophobicness written into the character in the book originally. And this was just kind of, I guess, Putting that onto the screen. Sure, um, but which they also could have cut chosen not to. 99% of the book and kept that in. So I know. there's a little. Well, like I say, it could have chosen not to. Oh, okay, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially we're talking about like the era of AIDS where it was like particularly damaging. Um, Oof. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So ignoring that part. Um, totally. I think, I, I loved how the Harkonnens represented it. It was just I knew so, you like that nasty shit, dude. So grotesque and disgusting. It's like, everything about them is just like, so, so, so grotesque. I mean, even just... So, first our first introduction to Gati Prime is just a picture of the planet and it's just like a fucking black ball. It yeah. just looks like a, a pellet of... Uh, of like iron or something um and then like our first shot on the planet is this giant statue of a face and we can't even see the eyes or anything all we can see is the mouth and it's just breathing out smog yeah it's like so right away it's just like this is a terrible planet (laughs) Um, (laughs) and and then we're shown and then it like cuts like a close-up of the Baron's face for the first time. And it's just covered in boils. And there's a doctor just like working on the boils. And we see like all these different people that have been like, I don't even want to see, say genetically modified just looks like they've had just like all this like crazy fucked up surgery done just to make them look more fucked up. Like without any actual, uh, logical purpose to it. Yeah. Um, uh, in this kind of like these barren rooms with just a, like, there's like barely any direct decoration, just like these green walls. They're
0: just in a green screen studio. Yeah,
1: the only decoration is like this table that has some tulips on it for some reason. <laughs> um, I, besides I, that, I have to say I
0: really liked
1: the planet. I
0: really liked the outdoor. The indoor I didn't like as much. Um, I
1: I liked it a I, lot.
0: I get I. I think they pulled it off because I hated it
1: and yeah. I'm supposed to
0: hate it. But I, yeah,
1: I just, I'm just like, this is so weird. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, no, it sucks. (laughs) It's like a horrible, horrible place. I agree, but but, yeah, yeah, I'm supposed to think that, and then they just have like this fucking gutter in the middle of the room where they just like throw trash into. (laughs) It's like this this gutter that seems to like bubbling oil or something, and then like they're like, ah, I don't need this message, and he just throws it in there. Uh, The uh, his nephew Rabin like. Has this drink that seems to be like he crushes this like bug and then he drinks the, yeah
0: the, the goo Capri from Sun. the bug
1: yeah yeah <laughs> it's and then he just throws that throws that debris right into that gutter um like everything about this plan and these people are just like the epitome of grotesque it's just so gross so disgusting nonstop later we see Rabin he's just. Walking down the hall to meet his uncle, the Baron Harkonnen, um, and there's a cow that people are just like that. Uh, they're cutting up for no reason, and he just rips the tongue out of the cow and just starts chewing on it while, while he goes to meet his uncle. Like, yeah, I, I I I love it. I think it's just it, yeah. I I think it's Lynch had his great his greatness um, <laughs> without being uh, censored by the studio. Totally. <laughs>
0: Yeah I, yeah, I dislike it. I wish it was different, but I do think it's very effective. So what can I say? <laughs> you know what
1: I mean? Yeah. Oh, and when he spits on uh, uh, Jessica, like, oh my oh, God. Oh, dude, that wine just... too. Like,
0: let me just spit on you a little bit. I just want it. I forget what he says. <sighs> he sounds like fucking uh, Marlon Brando in The Godfather
1: or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> just like, yeah. He it just moves. It's makes you want to puke. Um, yeah, I want to say the actor, um, Kenneth, uh, I can't remember his name, uh, Kenneth something, um, starts with an M. He, I think portrayed the bear and like, like I said, in my mind is gravitas, whatever. But from what obviously was asked of him, I thought he portrayed it like incredibly well. I think he had the best, best actor in the movie in terms of portraying his character. Um, Uh, I thought it was incredible acting portrayal. Um, I also liked his nephew Rabban, uh, who is played by the guy who plays the janitor in Pieces, which horror fans uh, will uh, uh, that's a little shout out to you guys because classic world, classic movie. And Sting, I think, also did a pretty good job. Um, he was fine. There was nothing to it. Yeah, but. there wasn't much to him. But like the things where we did see him, he, he I think he he showed like a. The facial expressions I think were pretty good of how kind of a snide piece of shit he, he is yeah
0: most of um, his lines were like all I see is a person I want to kill like
1: yeah so it wasn't much to him but yeah I think he had some good facial acting sure I,
0: I think um okay is there anything really to say about the empire in general either in the story or in the movie it feels kind of I don't have much to say. We've kind of already covered that they're in they, they want control. They're not, it's not working out there. You said the thing about the guild, which is very interesting. I don't know. Um, what did I say about the
1: guild? How they kind of like control things. Yeah. yeah. How like the, because
0: yeah. they're in charge of transportation, basically
1: they actually yeah. have power over the quote unquote ruler. Yeah. And you sh- it really shows that in the first scene when like they come to him and they're like, tell us all the plans. And he's just, he seems to be really scared. she right. just like, tells him everything doesn't hold anything back. Um, because they, yeah, they do have, um, I think they touch on it in the book too. Uh, yeah, they have more power than him. And um, in the book, does it, it felt more like,
0: Oh, this is a complicated story. Okay. I'll tell you the whole plan. So you know what's happening in the oh. movie in this.
1: Yeah, no, one hundred percent. First, it starts out with Princess Irulan doing her monologue, explaining everything. Yeah, which all the chapters start out with like a uh, Princess Irulan is a historian, so like we're seeing excerpts from her, from her the history book she's written yeah. to like start out each chapter. So it kind of makes sense in that way, but it's definitely just a complete info dump. Yeah. And then it cuts to that first scene, which once again, is just a complete info dump yeah. in the book. I don't think the guild is even privy to the plot at all um, until like later in it. Um, maybe I'm remembering wrong, but yeah, that like, that does not happen with the guilds. Like there were, I don't think the guild demands Paul's uh, death or whatever. I mean, um, when I
0: when I think of Dune, I think of a book where he really just drops you into a world and you have to figure it out like you're there to the point where mm-hmm. there's a fucking glossary like he doesn't even tell you what words yeah. mean. And so then turning on this movie and he's like, oh, I am going to set up a plot that you would have actually kind of figured out in 300 pages where <laughs> I am going to do this. And it's just like, whoa, "Whoa, whoa!" like, first of all thanks for trying to hold my hand, but second of all, no way anyone is totally following this. Yeah. Like, this early. They're just like, wait, oh, this, everything's gold. There's some crazy look at you. Wait, oh, the whole plot of the movie? Oh, oh shit, I missed it.
1: In the, uh, when this movie was screened, it, it did come with a, um, a booklet that defined a lot of the terms, um, which is uh, reproducing the, the Arrow's booklet of their new release, which is pretty cool. That's cool. So, I like, has like a brief definition like Ben and Jezer it is, and like all these different things. Um, which is, it's kind of cool, obvi- but yeah. Uh, yeah. In terms of like this convoluted plot, like, yeah. yeah, this is just like a complete info dump at the beginning. Um, which is not the greatest filmmaking technique. And throughout the whole movie, just like the, the inner monologues that we're constantly yeah. privy to, it's oh, just yeah. like really feels like lazy filmmaking. <laughs> Absolutely. Very, yeah.
0: the, not, not a great way to adopt uh-huh. adapted into a script
1: which once again i think was the uh, the studio's final cut i don't think that was in david lynch's original version for sure um uh yeah the only thing i'll say about the the empire is uh i thought that was kind of neat we see for a brief in the beginning like just because i like how we're shown like these four different planets and how different they are yeah i think we're kind That's of cool. it's kind of neat being shown this this own style of uh um, I can't think what it's called, but the emperor's planet where it's like this kind of medieval aristocracy mixed mm. with a bit of a steampunk kind of, uh, idea. Uh, totally. and I, I thought it looked really cool. And I liked the guy walking through like the room with a bunch of dogs. I just, totally. I love seeing dogs.
0: I, that, that whole beginning with the
1: four planets and stuff was, at, was a good way to present information. I liked mm-hmm. it. Oh, I, I also say princess Irulan, um, yeah, I expect her to have kind of a bigger role. I mean, she doesn't have the biggest role in the movie, in the book, but uh, um, besides introducing stuff to her books. but well, like,
0: being this whole revelation, too, that she's the one who's been writing it, that you don't figure out till the end.
1: No, I th- Or that you don't
0: figure think, out, like, the significance of that, sorry, that, like... Yeah. Because she's the emperor's daughter, and then you're like,
1: oh, shit, she's, like, yeah. now being married yeah.
0: to Paul, so that's this whole weird... It just makes it, like, oh, shit
1: yeah well totally like at the end of this you would expect it to be like and paul's like taking her hand in marriage or anything but she like she doesn't even play a part in like the final scene at all and in the book it's like a whole thing where paul like demands her hand in marriage and like yeah so it's kind of weird that her only really speaking line is just her introduction to the whole movie and then she's just pretty much out of it totally um besides some narration over here and there but
0: definitely Um, okay, lastly, let's talk about the fucking Fremen. Which, I wonder where that name came from. Hmm. The Fremen. Hmm. Sounds like free women to me. Some alive's mysteries should just be left mysteries. (laughs) Um, I mean, we've talked about them a bunch, but, I mean, I have one thing I kind of want to go into, but what, uh, do you have other thoughts we haven't touched on?
1: Uh... No. Not I, not off the top of my head. I mean, kinda, think of something.
0: I feel like the basic vibe is the same thing we've been saying for most things, and like it didn't yeah. feel like the yeah. anything that we know about them. They didn't feel like these amazingly crafty the best like fighters in the galaxy.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, not at all. Yeah. Um Also same with the Sardakar, who like before this the Sardaukar were thought of as like the greatest fighters in the gal in the universe just like bar none those are the ones that were questioned to use sardaukar are the forces of the uh emperor and he was lending them to harkonnen uh and they were pretending to be harkonnen soldiers to uh because if people knew that he was using the baron was using Sardacar, they would get pissed off that's right um but yeah so like the sardaukar is supposed to be like From this like prison planet where they were like lived in the most brutal conditions and they were like for exchange for like freedom and like uh, little, you know, benefits here and there. They could become like the most elite loyal soldiers in the universe to the emperor and then. Discovered that the Fremen are actually better soldiers than the Sardaukar. We don't see any of that. We don't even the Sardaukar, they're not really portrayed as great soldiers to us at all. They they there's a few lines where they speak of them as great soldiers, but like the they just look like they're walking to... around in trash bags, yeah. just like they don't look that intimidating. <laughs> and,
0: yeah, and almost um, all the Fremen fighting except that one knife fight where
1: he loses to Paul yeah. is with that weird gadget gun thing. Yeah. It's but so it's, dumb. Yeah, they're the Fremen like once again, they're they're all introduced in the part of the movie that's just like on fast forward the whole yeah. time, so we barely get anything with them at all, and it's just crazy because they're such a huge part of the book. I know they're <laughs> and... like half the book. Yeah, um, and this movie's like, and then Paul met the Fremen, and then he became their leader, and then they became his loyal soldiers. <laughs> it's
0: like a six year old recounting. Yeah. The, it's like David Lynch made the first half of the book, and then a six year old explained the second half. Of the book. Yeah. <laughs> and then the Fremen, they like blew up, then there were explosions, and then they were like, wow, you wrote a worm. And then everyone was happy. <laughs>
1: It totally is like that. They're like, well, David Lynch gave us some cool visuals, but let's just let's just get my daughter to do the narrative really quick.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and like I said, there was that lead up to the worms that was just so epic in the book. And the lead up to the Fremen is like that, too. You're hearing like, they're mm-hmm. underground. There's so many more than we thought. They somehow live in the desert that we don't even understand how you could. And then <laughs> – like, it's like, holy shit, when you meet them. And this, I will say there was like the, oh, check out our stores of water. But you could literally mm-hmm. be like, we've been collecting water. Other than that, we're exactly the same as everyone else. <laughs> yeah. We're even just as white. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one thing that I think the movie especially failed at for me, with which involves the Fremen, is... One of the reasons they're so cool is because there's all these ecological things on the planet of Arrakis that no one thinks are anything but deadly. Like the worms, the sandstorms, mm-hmm. even the lack of water.
1: Yeah, it's the heat.
0: Yeah. yeah. And the Fremen are like, you can ride the sandstorms. You yeah. can ride the so uh the worms. Like all of these things yeah. that you think of as hindrances are sources of power, are sources of mm-hmm. control, are sources of, like, liberation. And that's yeah. the coolest fucking thing in the entire thing. Like,
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, Paul, throughout the book, he keeps repeating, like, uh, on Kaladin, we had air power. But on uh, in uh, Arrakis, we can have desert power. And he yep. keeps talking about how we need to utilize desert power. And so that's... Yeah. That's what the Fremen, um, you know, represent as desert power and how they've utilized all this fucking desert power that yeah. nobody else even thought
0: of. People think, so, think um, of deserts as just like a problem, like the, an unlivable mm-hmm. place. And it's like, there's power here and we've figured yeah. it out. But this is like, oh, we just had to wait for a white dude to tell us how to figure some of it out. <laughs> but we collected water. They do do that part and the still suits. But like, yeah, it's just it's yeah. just not in there at all.
1: god damn it, it just this could have been something really good it just makes me so mad and we're pointing out all these flaws like god damn it like let's because there's so much awesome stuff i there, know but. it's so
0: cool because it's just hard it's like if you just talk about the movie especially just like visually i mean it's actually it's this weird thing where it's like the movie is better because we know the book but it's also mm-hmm. worse because we know the book. Like the plot before yeah. to we know the book. So that we can yeah. just be like, oh, look what they did with it, these cool visuals. But also, like, we're like, but all the themes.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. What Dave- did
0: you do to my themes?
1: <laughs> David talks about how he is like, on one hand, he is trying to uh, you know do what the producers, what the producers in the studio want. On the other hand, he is also trying to stay true to Frank Herbert's vision. Frank Herbert was on set and uh, David Lynch says he went over every line in the in the novel uh with Frank Herbert um so it was like very obvious that he wanted to like well uh, do justice to Frank Herbert's work but then also you know with his own creative vision and yeah. so you have this like struggle between these three different kind of visions uh, that really just um in his mind just killed the project
0: yeah and it's like that could have been a cool symbiosis like the Fremen Mm. have with all the forces around them, but it, it didn't work out. You got crushed by the worm. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Um, I don't know. Anything else about the Fremen or ecology?
1: Um, it was really weird how tossed off, uh, um, Kine's character was Yeah, uh, he, he plays a much bigger role in the book even though he he does die um, you know he, he's not like in the biggest portion of the book but he's still like there's like a emotional and thematic core to him and his character that carries like a lot of weight because um, he's very big on you know, he came from this, I mean, he he was born on uh, Arrakis, but his his family comes from, you know, the emperor's uh, society where he's a representative of the emperor. His father was a representative of the emperor. And even though he's now Fremen, he still has that kind of uh, um, you know, conventional society aspect to him where he understands that um, and he understands the Fremen culture and he he has this thing where he's very distrusting of these people in the movie. You know, he says like, Oh, despite everything I, the, you know, my mind says, I, I like this Duke because he tried to save these people, but there's still this aspect of him where he's very distrusting of, uh, these people coming in he's very distrusting of leaders and centralized authority. And, um, that's a big part of the book is him being like, uh, um, never, the the worst thing that can befall a society is like, is a is a hero or something like that. Yeah, um, that's like one of his lines, which is like one of the biggest, yeah, thematic cores to the whole. It's, yeah, it's introducing novel. something that's so important yeah. to the whole series and yeah. yeah, like the idea of people bef- coming under the 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 sway of a hero and that hero, how much destruction that hero can can rot on those people and whether intentional or not intentional um yeah totally huh. so it's yeah it sucks that he was he, i mean there's also max von Sydow, who's just like one of the all-time great actors and He's giving <laughs> and nothing to just, do yeah
0: <laughs> for sure huh. well concluding thoughts is there anything we didn't cover politically, philosophically, spiritually, visually, anything that about, I mean, we're going to talk more about Dune next time, but about this movie specifically. Oh, the poster's really cool.
1: Poster's really cool. I can't think what the poster looks like. Is it actually really cool? Yeah, it's cool. It's stupid, but it's cool. Okay. Um, David Lynch had a, had a role in it. Oh Um, yeah.
0: Was he the guy, uh, On the machine when the worm was coming. Yeah. Yeah.
1: On the harvester. I caught that the the second time. Yeah. So that's pretty neat. Yeah. Um, uh, It's a good movie. People should go watch Mulholland Drive. I agree. I'm glad you... uh, So is that your favorite one? My favorite David Lynch movie? Yeah. I think so. I mean, just... Even, I mean... it's kind of hard to say just because that has so much uh, historical sway with me. But I sure. think even judging outside of that, it would still be my favorite. And I love that movie. That's cool. I did not think we'd be on the same page. But
0: that one, I mean, I haven't seen most of his movies. But, I mean, he didn't mm-hmm. have a ton. But that one really, like, it's fucking cool. You could, yeah. the themes are really obvious. And it feels very, like, super complex to understand. But somehow that pushes messages at you that like makes sense before you even know what's happening.
1: Yeah, totally. I love that movie. Um, David Lynch, make another movie. If you're listening, it's been so long. Yeah. Uh, Inland Empire was his last full length movie. And that was like, oh five, oh six, oh seven. I can't remember, but somewhere around then. Yeah. Um, um, but he did do all the twin peaks episodes in the last season. Oh, so
0: man. how many are there? Was there two new ones or just one new one?
1: There is one new season. Okay. Um, but I think he's talked about maybe doing another season. All right. Uh,
0: and you like the new season?
1: I loved it. Okay, sweet. I it's my favorite season of the three. It's my favorite TV show. So wow.
0: okay, best season of TV all ta- of all time. You all hear? Heard, yeah, I heard it here.
1: I like to differentiate between comedy and non-comedy. So I guess you say my different, my favorite non-comedy. Um, What's your favorite comedy? I don't know what my favorite comedy is. Okay. It's just, they cool. activate just such completely yeah. different parts of my brain. Like, I don't feel like you can put them on the same... Totally. ...category.
0: Okay, this was very hard for me.
1: What is your dumb cop of the That's week? she said. Um, Sting. Really? Because he was in the band The Police.
0: <laughs> such a good <laughs> answer, dude! <laughs> yes! Yes! <laughs> I can't I answer that. That was... that was so good.
1: Damn, dude. I was afraid that might be too obvious.
0: <laughs> Thanks Rub it in. Excellent work. Excellent work. I'm not even going to answer. Everybody no, sucks. No, come on. No, everybody to. just sucks. I had to arbitrarily just pick one. <laughs> what would you pick? Okay, fine. It's the the dudes, um, uh, the Harkonnen dudes who took Lady Jessica and Paul in the thropter or whatever and only putting yeah. thing on her and had a stupid haircut. We're just dumbasses.
1: Yeah, that's in the book, that's a much better scene because, well, first of all, there's three of them, but one of yeah. them is intentionally deaf yeah. so that he can't be controlled by Jessica, yes. which is kind of like a really cool concept, but um, they decided not to go with that in this. Totally. Alright, how would you rate this movie? It's such a hard rating because... There's so many things I love so much of it and so many things that just really let it down. Um, I I want to say again, I was afraid for years this movie would be horrible and I th- legitimately like it enjoy it and glad it exists and yeah. I'm glad to say I don't think David Lynch ever made a bad movie. Um, if we're judging it on a scale, do we use scales of 5 or 10?
0: There's no scale, it's just a fake thing we make up, remember?
1: Oh is that it's been's been, it's so been long. like a, it's been years <laughs> I,
0: mean, I mean, how are we supposed to remember ratings when we just drink the water of life and
1: that's true, yeah I will give it um why don't you rate it first?
0: I agree with you it's like this thing where obviously we've pointed out a ton of flaws. But I still love it as like just a piece of art. Like it's just fucking interesting. And I, I just enjoy how fucking unique it is. Like it's so fucking cool. And the badness kind of makes it great too. So, but yeah, it's kind of just middle of the road for me. So I'm going to give it a 270 meter sandworm. But there have been reports of sandworms up to 450
1: meters that's what i hear yeah um all right, i'm going to give it uh eight graboids um uh half of kevin bacon either lower half or upper half whichever half uh uh david lynch would prefer um and uh um uh, but, but what's that movie um, uh, uh, friday the 13th part 1 Where Kevin Bacon is killed by Jason. Or now Jason, by by Jason's mom. Or is it part two? The mom is part one. I I know know. the mom is part one. I just can't remember Kevin Bacon's in one or two. I I think it was one. I
0: feel like he's in one, but it's been
1: literally decades, so (laughs) I don't know. He's a very small role. He doesn't like to talk about it. Totally.
0: Well, This was fun as hell. I love just that this... I don't know. This is just such a fun series. I'm really excited Mm. to get to talk about the new movie with you next time. That's going to be great.
1: Yeah. Timothy Chalamet, everybody. He's going to be it. I mean, I'm not supposed to say anything, but he might be on the podcast. (laughs) All right. Well, uh,
0: thanks for listening. Um, You don't need to rate or review us. We don't care. We've grown. We've changed.
1: Okay, can you please review us and rate us on
0: uh, com? We've just, like, I don't know how to explain the water of life to someone who's never had it, but, like, it just really, you really get a sense of what matters. Time, everything's happening at once, it's an illusion, so, like, you know, we j- we just couldn't care less. For the bit, you're supposed to beg them to
1: do it again. (laughs) No. (laughs) Just felt like the natural next thing that would happen. (laughs) Review us. Tell them to review us. (laughs) Tell them to rate and review us. You tell them. I got Charlie to do that by using the voice, by the
0: way. Um, You can find us (laughs) on Twitter uh, at NogodsPod. You can email us, nogodspod at gmail.com. I think that's right. And uh, if you like what we're doing and you want to support the show, you can do so by destroying a thing. Controlling a thing.
1: Yes. Destroy my ass. Control my ass. I just did that. (laughs) Gotta bump butts once in a while.